Mark chapter 9, we're going to start a new series today called The Pursuit of Greatness. Um, this is what I've, I know about, I will assume this about you, that every one of us in this room desires to be great, right? You desire to be noticed. For your life to count, I was having uh, a meeting with somebody this past week, and I said, listen, man, I said, we're getting old, and uh, We've probably already lived more than half our lives. Well, I know we have, unless the Lord just is a great many blesses us tremendously. I said, how do you want to finish out the last of these days that you have left? And he said, Sid, I want my life to count. He said, I've made a lot of mistakes in life. He said, but I'm, I'm praying from now on out that I can, I can really have an impact for the Lord. And what he was saying is that I, I want to be great. I want to be great. I, I want to be highly thought of. You know, when we think about the recognition of greatness early on in, in life, it may have come out of academic abilities. We got some scholars in here. And maybe your worth and your value and your greatness came off of the, the letters that you scored on your report card. And, and when you graduated, you were that one with that yellow sash. We probably got some yellow sash people in here. All right. You were the one that had all those little emojis or whatever you want to call them, those little uh, uh, signs by your name in the bulletin when you graduated. Do you remember that? There are some that didn't have some, and then there were some that had a bunch, and you wanted to be the one that had a bunch because that means that you were somebody special. And then there were those people that maybe academics wasn't your thing because regardless of how much you tried, how much time you put in, you never seemed to be able to do better than a C. So maybe your thing was athletics. I mean, you were the big dude when it came to the sports. I mean, everybody recognized you, and you just weren't just good. You were really good. You were MVP good. Your name was always in the paper. I mean, you could have been like Randy Jones. I mean, if it was playing football, if it was playing basketball, if it was playing baseball, your name was always in the paper for something special. I mean, it was hits, or it was goals scored, or maybe it was tackles made, or even, even rushing yards, but, but you were great when it came down to athletics. But maybe then you weren't you were an athletic person. Maybe you really weren't good at a lot of things when it came to academics or, or sports. You know, when you get older... When you consider greatness, maybe it's about having an important position. Maybe it's about driving a specific kind of car. Maybe it's living in a specific type of community. Maybe it's being a business owner or having a supervisor role. or um, Maybe it's the square footage of your home. Maybe it's the amount of money that you have in your bank account. But when you think about the pursuit of greatness, you value, there are certain things that you happen to value. And if we... If we think about people in our mind who we consider to be great, my question is this, what is it that makes them great? You know, Gail, when you think about somebody that's great, what is it that makes them great? Is it because they're a good athlete? Is it because they're a good student? Is it because they hold an important position? What is it that makes them great? And if I were to ask you, who do you know that's, that's great? I mean, how would you formulate that list? They're a great musician. They're a great doctor. 
They're a great person. What is it that makes them a great person? Because this is what I know. We all have a criteria that we've set for greatness. And if you were to write out a list, there's a way that you would write out a list. So how would you formulate that list? What is it that defines greatness for you? What's interesting to know is the people that we put on our list of great people may not be great just because they're great at something, right? It may not be because they're a great athlete or it may not be because they hold a specific position, but there's a criteria. The NBA playoffs are happening right now. Man, there's some great athletes, great athletes, but they'd never make your list of great people. And so why is, why is that? Just because also there's people that maybe we've looked up to the past that we've said that they were great. Maybe they were an actor or maybe they were a musician or a pastor or an athlete. And uh, you might even have had a poster in your, in your, in your bedroom of this, this person growing up. But all of a sudden you, you became to see their lifestyle off stage and they're not as great as one time as you thought they were. Now they're not necessarily as great. Now the opposite is also true. Not only are there people who are great at something, you'd look at them and you say, they're great. Not because they're great at something, but, but just because they're, they're great. Who might some of those people be? A grandparent? A parent? A friend? And what is it that constitutes their greatness? You know, they're always at my ball game. I heard somebody say just not long ago, they were asking about parents, and they said, your parents aren't here. And they said, no, they, 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 never, they never come. They never go. A friend, what is it that makes a friend great? Because they're a great listener? Because they're always willing to, to help? Is it because they've got talents and abilities? So it's really important for us to be able to uh, identify or distinguish today, there is a difference between being great at something and being great. As a parent, think about this. How much time, how much effort, how much resource do we spend trying to get our kids to be great at something and not to be great? Think about that. How much time and resources and efforts do we put into hiring private instructors or tutors or extra practices or, or travel teams or all these things and trying to help our kids to become great people, yet we miss on teaching them to be great people. Some of you may have dated or even married somebody and now you're divorced because you thought you were marrying a great person. But you married them because they were great at something. They may have been great looking. They may have been great at making money. They may have been great because they held a specific position. And you were attracted because at that moment in time you thought they were great. But over time you realized that necessarily they weren't really great at great. They were great at something. And you wish that you would have been able to have discerned between the two prior to saying, I do. It's awful quiet in here this morning. But what does it mean to be great? What does it mean to be great? Jesus had something to say about that. And so I want you to turn over to Mark chapter 9. And over the next several weeks, we're going to take a look at that specifically as, 
As we talk about Mother's Day next week and the important role that mothers play and then the graduates, that man, it's such an extreme time for our graduates as they take this next step on. But what does it look like to mean to be great? What did Jesus have to say about that? So in Mark chapter 9, there's a story that Mark records, and here's Jesus with his 12 disciples. They, they have made a decision to follow Christ. He's called them out, and um, one day they're walking along this road, and they're having some discussions. They're on their way to a village, a town, a little fishing village on the sea of the North Sea of Galilee called Capernaum. And while they're walking along the road, Jesus overhears a conversation. They're talking in the background, so they're probably following Jesus. He overhears a conversation that's taking place in the background. And Jesus, at that moment in time, he didn't say anything, but he heard exactly what they were saying. But when they got to where they were going, when things begin to settle down, Jesus sort of nonchalantly probably leans back and says, Guys, he said, listen, I heard you having a conversation back there. He said, he said what was it that you were What was it you were?" conversing about? What was it that you were talking about? What was it that you were arguing about? Now, they didn't need to answer Jesus because Jesus already knew what they were talking about to start off with, right? Because Jesus knows everything. So you think you might get away with certain things, but Jesus knows everything. He sees everything. He understands everything. But they didn't say anything because what they were talking about at that moment in time, on that road where they were following Jesus as they were talking about who was the greatest. So Jesus asked him, what, what are you guys, what were you all talking about? And Mark tells that the room that they were in got silent because they had been talking about who was the greatest in verse 34. Now, you know, when you're young, it's not really that big a deal to, to play king of the mountain and who's in charge and who's large and all, you know, all that kind of stuff where my daddy's bigger than your daddy. But when you get to be an adult... Those conversations really aren't that kosher. You understand? I mean, who's the greatest? I mean, come on. That's not really something you need to be sitting around and discussing. But here they are. And now they're ashamed that Jesus has overheard this discussion. And he didn't condemn them for wanting to be great. He didn't condemn them for having the conversation about greatness. But what he wanted to do is he wanted to define for them what greatness really was. So he calls them and he says, listen guys, since great is on your mind, let me tell you what greatness is. And this is what he says in chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus says, whoever wants to be what? First or great. Whoever wants to be first or great must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. Now the disciples, probably like you and I, are thinking, um, what in the world does having being last have to do with with uh, with greatness we're getting off the plane in India and uh, the last thing you want to do is be last because this is going to be a long wait Jack and I got in the law in the wrong line I laid him down the wrong path you know where we were we were last in line last in line I don't like being last. You like being last? No. You're standing at the grocery line. You're not thinking about, man, let me just move myself to the back. When you're in the parking lot and the parking lot's full and somebody backs out, you're not thinking about, man, listen, hey, won't you just come right up here and have this little parking spot? 
When you're standing at the line of bank or when you're, when, you're, when you're in traffic, you're not thinking about, well, how do I move to the back of the line? How do I get to the front? And so here's Jesus saying, listen, whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. See, our goal isn't to, be, isn't to serve. Our goal is to have others serve us. And what Jesus is saying, listen, for us to be first, we must consciously decide to put others first. But obviously these guys didn't get, a, get up, get, they didn't understand what Jesus was saying because here we are, they're, in, they're, they're on their way to the next town. And in Mark chapter 10, there's a different story, but the same exact result. Look over at Mark chapter 10 and verse 35. And let's see what happens. Because this is like an ongoing thing. Jesus is like, listen, I'm trying to teach you guys something, but you're not listening to me. So here they are in Mark chapter 10, verse 35. And let's, let's read this. It says, then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and they spoke, they spoke to him and they said, teacher, we, we would like for you to do us a favor. Okay? Now this is very interesting because if you go back just a couple of verses, there were some very interesting things that were taking place. And man, they weren't catching what Jesus was laying down. Look at what it says here in verse 33. Jesus is being so intimate with them and he says, Listen, we're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priest and the teachers of the law and they will sentence him to die and hand him over to the Romans. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him, whip him, kill him, but after three days he will rise again. This is what's happening right before this, this question comes about. Jesus is painting a picture of what's getting ready to take place. He's painting a picture of the future, the betrayal, the pain, the suffering, the crucifixion, the resurrection, everything that was going to happen. And they don't hear a word that Jesus is speaking. They got something totally else, something totally else on their mind. They didn't hear a word that he was saying. Because here is the following statement that John and James, they come over and they asked for a favor. It's pretty insensitive in light of the fact of what Jesus was just saying, don't you think? I mean, has there been a time in your life when somebody's trying to tell you something important? Sometimes Meredith will say to me, she'll make a comment, she'll go, you didn't even hear what I said, did you? Is that like a husband? That must be like a husband and wife thing. It is. Here she is, bearing her heart. I'm over here thinking about something. And she's like, hey, I'm over here. Did you hear what I said? And so here's Jesus like saying, man, you, you guys are totally missing it. Jesus is pouring out his life. But Jesus still goes along with him. And look at what he says in verse 36. <laughs> what, what is, what's your request, he asked? They weren't bashful. Verse 37, they replied, when you sit at your glorious throne. Okay. Just when you make it to the top, we want to sit in a place of honor next to you. Can I have a little position over here? The one on the right and the other on your left. In other words, what they're saying, Jesus, when you get to be top dog, large and in charge, sitting on the throne, we want to, we want to be your associates. We want to be your vice presidents. So will you give us a position of authority so that we can be great? We want to be great. The disciples knew all the prophecies that, that had been given in the Old Testament that the Messiah would come and he would come to save them. But they're thinking about an earthly kingdom and they're thinking about an earthly throne. 
And if Jesus is going to sit on an earthly throne, he's going to need some trusted sidekicks. One on the right, one on the left. And they're saying, Lord, I don't understand all this stuff that you're talking about, about dying and, and, and pain and suffering and being crucified and being, being raised again, being spit on. I don't understand all that stuff. But listen, hey, hey, Jesus, when, when, you, when, you, when you get, you know, when you're in that place of authority and you're sitting on your throne, can we have a place of significance? Because we want everybody to know that we're great. We want to be important. Will you give us a cell phone and will you, will you give us a private number? Give us a little beeper or something, you know, so we can go off and go, oh, he's, he's important. It doesn't take long for jealousy to set in. Look at what it says in verse 41. When the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were ticked. Let's just put it that way, okay? They're upset. They're indignant is what it says. Why in the world do you think they were mad? Were they, up, were they mad because they weren't bold enough to say what was on their mind? I mean, was it, was it, were they mad because they beat them to the punch? What were they thinking? We all want to be important. We all want that special place at the, at the head of the table. We all want to be recognized. We all want to be important. And Jesus follows up this foolishness by defining by defining greatness for us. I sent picture, I'm sitting there with a picture from, from India. Had, we were, had the privilege of speaking at a, at a graduation for the seminary. And so uh, they presented me with a crown. Jack looks like the Pope. I don't know what I look like. So they present me with this, this thing that goes on my head. I have it in my office, so I'll never forget that. And, and this lay to go around, so it's really special. So I, I sent this to Meredith, and I said, I just want to remind you the king is coming home one day. <laughs> she told me if I wanted to be king, I need to stay in India. <laughs> Kids thought that was real funny. You did not reply? <laughs> oh, if I ask you if you got the picture? Yeah. There's one king in my home, okay? Let me just, I'll stop right there. That's all I got to say. One king in my home. My hat's downstairs in the office, Dan. It's not at the house, but the king, there's one king in my home. So Jesus calls them together. And look at what he says in verse 42. Jesus calls them together and says, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over the people and the officials. They flaunt their authority. In other words, they, they flaunt their power. They've got a position, and man, they're going to let you know how powerful they are. They flaunt their authority over those under them. In other words, what Jesus is saying, you know how they do it. You know how they manipulate. You know how they get a position of leadership and they lead with an iron fist. And Jesus said in verse 43, but among you, you will be different. You want to talk about greatness? You want to talk about the pursuit of greatness? The pursuit of greatness isn't about a position. But here's Jesus saying, guys, listen, I know what you know and I know what's natural and I know what the culture says and I know what you're thinking and I know what the flesh but among you, you will be different. 
He's trying to teach him something really important here. Look at what he goes on to say in verse 43. For whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be the first among you must be the slave of everyone else. And so here's Jesus redefining greatness. And he says it's not about a position that you hold. It's not about being great at something. But Jesus said, listen, if you want to be great, it's really simple. True greatness is serving somebody else. True greatness is serving somebody else. Say that with me. That can be hard. True greatness is serving someone else. Say it again. True greatness is serving someone else. And that can be really hard for us to say, can it? Because in the culture in which we live, we think that greatness is having somebody serve us. Let me tell you one thing the people of India do well. They serve each other well. I mean, any place that we went, there were people trying to grab our bags, not just men, but women. Every place we went, they wanted to make sure that we were served. Some people that were far, far, far away from God, and yet there was something within that culture that was really right. Are you hearing what I'm telling you? Far, far, far away from God, yet there was something within that culture. They only knew what they knew. And so here's Jesus redefining greatness and saying, if you want to be great, true greatness is serving others. And this teaching, man, it's difficult because it goes against the every fiber that we have within inside of us. It goes against what feels right. But Jesus says, listen, let me clearly define for you what greatness is. See, we like the word, words courageous, bold, strong, rule, reign. We love those words. And we like the pictures that, that sort of come to our mind when we say those words. We don't like the word servant, humble, submissive, sacrificial. But Jesus said, listen, if you want to be great, you'll do what I do. Then we choose to live, though, as Jesus lived, there's going to be a conflict that takes place within our lives. Because there's going to be a risk there's going to be a risk that you lose an earthly identity as well as the opportunity to get your name up on a billboard. Jesus said, that's not true greatness. If you want to be great, you're going to serve. The journey to live as Jesus lived can be a lonely place because people aren't always recognized and applauded for serving other people. We'll go all to great lengths to, to hire private tutors and personal trainers and teach our children to be smarter, to run faster, to dance better, just so they can be great at something. But how many of us are interested in teaching our, period, our children how to be great, period? How many of us are interested in teaching our children how to serve, as Jesus said, so that they can be great? There's going to come a day when every one of us in this room are going to die. It's, man, that's the way it is. Now, I know they say Michael Jackson is still alive, but he ain't alive. He's dead. And every one of us at the room at some point in time will take our last breath. And there will be a group of people that will stand over us, and there will be some words that will be spoken, some things that will be said, some conversations that will be had. 
And what is it that will be said at your funeral or your um, or that time of celebration of life? I mean, is it is what you want people to talk about is Man, let me tell you, that guy was a great salesman. He drove a fine car. They lived in a great community. Man, he was an unbelievable ball player. She was a great cheerleader. Did you ever see her dance? Unbelievable. Do you want them to remember us for being great at something, or do you want people to remember us for being great? What do you want? And here's the news. The great news, I think, that what Jesus is trying to say in the midst of this, listen, what he's saying is that for any one of us, any one of us, you may not be great at something, but every one of us has the ability to be great. You may not have a specific talent or ability or whatever it is, but every one of us, every one of us in this room can serve. Every one of us in this room can live as Jesus lived. By serving. Jesus didn't, he just didn't talk about greatness, but he demonstrated it. The disciples saw it. I mean, he healed the sick, he calmed the seas. He forgave the sins of people. He fed the hungry. He cast out demons. He raised the death, death to life. But Jesus didn't define his greatness as a result of those events. And Mark 10, chapter 45, this is what Jesus said, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus said, I didn't come so that people would serve me, but I came to serve other people. I didn't come with my own agenda, but I came with my Father's agenda. And what he did is he took his life and he leveraged it on behalf of other people. That's what he did. He leveraged his life for the benefit of others. Jesus knew ultimately our need was for forgiveness for our sins. And he paid a price that we couldn't pay. And he said, listen, I will willingly give my life for you. I didn't come to get something, but I came to give something. And I came to give it all. I didn't come to be served, but I came to serve. He humbled himself. And the, and the Bible says in the scripture here, in Philippians chapter 2, that he gave up his divine privileges, that he took the position of a slave, he became obedient unto death, even death on the cross, and he did that for us. And so a question, what does this mean for those of us that are sitting in the seats today that call ourselves believers and followers of Christ? How do we apply this in the 21st century? What does it look like? I mean, how does this play out in the workplace, in the home, in our church, in our relationships? How does all of this stuff play out? What would our relationships look like if we were serious about not being great at something, but we were serious about being great? What would the outcome be if we desired to please the audience of one instead of being known by the audience of many? What lives might be impacted by those If we were to serve, if Jesus called us to serve, how might eternity be impacted? The uniqueness about the couple that we visited with in India is that's what they've chosen to do. I don't know how much you know about India, and I'm still learning a little bit. But there's caste systems, and those caste systems were 
by law, they were rendered unlawful several years ago. But those caste systems are still in play. You got the imported people all the way down to the not so imported people. And this couple that we work with in India, they're up here. But what they've done is they've given up their lives to work with those people that are down here. When Chandra became a believer, a follower of Christ, when he had to face the fact that Jesus was Lord, he walked away from his family and he was abandoned by his family. And they told him, don't ever come back. We don't know you anymore. Here he was, part of a high class, but yet he knew that Jesus Christ was Lord. He was Hindi by by culture, but now he was a believer and a follower of Christ. When we were standing outside one of the temples there in Puri, um, this huge temple, he said, um, we need to stand at a distance. And I said, why do we need to stand at a distance? He said, because of the radical Hindus. And he said, I can go in. He said, but if they come to find out Um, that I'm a follower of Christ. I can go in because of my culture. I can go in because of my skin color. But if they ever find out who I am and that I'm a follower of Christ, I'll never come out alive. And yet we sit here in our pews and we have a great time. When I asked pastors that we were working with in the tribal areas that Susmita and Chandra have given their life to reach and to impact. When I asked them sitting in a little room, um, how many of you have been persecuted for your faith if you would have been there to see the hands raised? Why? Tell me your stories, whether it was stoned or beaten or arrested or abandoned by your family. That was their stories. And yet they had given their lives to try to share the love of Jesus with those who didn't know that area that we were in is the most unreached area in the world for Christ. Less than 1% of the people. <clears throat> One-fifth of the world's population living in the, in the size of a third of the United States when it comes to land mass. Yet one-fifth of the world's population lives there. And in that area, in that area, the most unreached area of the world And yet they would take the resource that we would give them because they're working with illiterate people, people that can't read, that can't write, and yet they would take that story cloth that we would give them and they would say, this is what we can teach and we can take to the people so that they would come to know Jesus. There's probably some pictures up there that this is... This is one village that's not far from a community center where we are, and the nose pieces that they wear identify which tribe or which village. There are 62 languages just within that tribe. It was really neat because at one point in time, as we were talking to them about the gospel and we were sharing and talking about the story cloth, I noticed there was confusion on this one guy's face. And because we had been modeling and they were to practice it and they were to come back and share, and I noticed that he was a little bit confused and it took a little while, and I, I asked, I asked uh, Chandra, I said, what's going on? He said, he speaks a different language. And so what there was, it was a, there was a language to a translator, to a translator, to a translator to me. 
<laughs> I'm thinking, man, here's this old country boy up in the middle of nowhere. There's another picture up here. <clears throat> this is another village. The poor woman over here sitting by Jack, you know, she, like nobody ever taken her picture before. You see her, how she's standing? She's a little tiny thing. They're tiny people, by the way. The guy on the, on the left-hand side standing by me is a, is, a, is, a, is a pastor that's given his life to the Lord that stays there at the, at the uh, community center. What's another picture that's up here? This is a little lady that helps there at the community center that, that fixes food and stuff. She, was, she helped cook our food. I, man, it poured the second day, I'm thinking, how in the world can we hear? We can't, even, we can't even talk because it's raining so hard. The monsoon season is getting ready to happen, and it was raining so hard. And the ground is beginning to flood where they're cooking our, our, our lunch outside in these pits and these, in these things. Jack would ask me, what are we going to have? And I, I said, I don't know, just eat it, whatever it is. <laughs> don't, don't ask questions. So in the midst of all this rain, I look outside and hear these pots that are wide open and the cows are eating out of it. <laughs> Sticks his head up. Well, they see it. Well, they go crazy. Run the cows off. Five minutes later, he's still pouring. I look back out and there's the cows got his head back in the... Guess what we had for lunch? <laughs> these are some of the pastors, tribal pastors, um, and some some of the ladies that we had the privilege of training there. We were on the way back to get a plane ride. We had to drive, I don't know, six hours to get to another place so that we could get a plane to get back to Bangalore. And we're probably two and a half hours down the road. And Chandra said, well, there's a village over there where one of those guys came from. And I said, what do you mean there's a village over there where one of those guys? He goes, well, one of the pastors came from that village. I said, man, we're two and a half hours down the road. He goes, I know, he walked. I said, you got to be kidding me. And we talk about sacrifice and suffering for Jesus. No. Service, serving. Jesus said he didn't come to be served, but he came to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, it's a privilege to be able to do some things and go in places like that and see. And it reminds me of how blessed we are here. And yet, we don't have to travel 15,000 miles around the world to find people that are lost and dying without Christ. Because some of them are your neighbors. Some of them are people that you work with in the business place. Some of them are, are students that you go to school with. Some of them are family members. And yet we're not concerned about them. We mourn over those who, who die physically. But when's the last time that you've got down on your knees and you've mourned and you've cried and you've wept over those who were spiritually dead? Jesus was a great teacher. He worked all kinds of miracles. But what made him great was the fact that he chose to be a servant and execute the plans of his father. 
what would it be like if we were to catch a vision of what being great was truly about? Because, see, this is what I know. I know you, and we have some great people in here. I mean, man, we've got some. You want to talk about great people? When it comes to the world's perspectives, we've got some great people that are here. But not only that, we have some people who are great people, not because they're great at something, but because they're great. Because I know a lot of you, and I know how you serve, and I know how you sacrifice, and I know the amount of hours and the time and the effort and, the, and everything that you give on behalf of other people. But what would it be like if it wasn't just the 20%? What happens if it was the 100% of us that were to catch a vision of what that was like? Man, that coming to church wasn't something that you did for me. Church was an opportunity for, for me to be able to have a, an expression of what it was like to be the body of Christ. That for the people on the outside, they were to see the love and the unity and the affections of what we have for one another. And it wasn't a consumer approach that when we walk in, what is it you're going to do for me? But we were to understand that greatness was serving other people. I wonder what would happen. I wonder whose lives might be impacted. Because one day, we're going to have to stand before the Lord. We're going to have to kind of give an account for our lives and how we've chosen to live. And don't you want to hear those words, well done. Man, you killed it. <laughs> you took everything, that, what I gave you, you took and you used it to the best of your ability. Well done. Do you know the number of lives that were impacted because of your, your faithful giving? Do you know the, the number of people that, were, that was lives were impacted because you chose to serve in an area where, where it wasn't always the most popular, you weren't always seen, you weren't always rewarded, but you worked with those children and you, you, every week, man, you poured in your life. Or those students on Wednesday nights, or you served over at Beyond the Walls for those for our, our, of our neighbors that struggle. Or you stood out in the parking lot and you greeted, man, when it was pouring rain or when it was hot. Or you stood at a door and you, you greeted somebody with a smile because up until that time, nobody had ever smiled at them. They thought God was angry with them. But for Jesus to look at you and say, man, you know what? <laughs> you just killed it. Because you were great. Not because you were talented or gifted, but you were great. And you were great because you took what I gave you and you gave it away on behalf of others. Would you pray with me today? The pursuit of greatness isn't about us being better or greater at something. But it's us coming to understand that, Father, as believers, that we have a position of humbleness and a servant heart. May every one of us here that are followers of Christ that say that there's been that time in our life when we've trusted Christ, that, we have, that we've given our life to Jesus, may this really just sink down deep, deep, deep inside. Am I still trying to be great at something or am I just trying to be great? Am I trying to be first or am I intentionally putting others before me? 
It's a message for all of us to be, not only to hear, to be constantly reminded of because the world we live in says put yourself first, serve yourself first. But Jesus, you called us to be different. Use those positions, use those resources, use those things that God has given us. And may we do the same thing that you did and leverage them on behalf of other people. Not just so that they would have a better life, but so they would come to know you personally. For the person that may be here today that don't know Christ, I'm going to call our overseers that are here this morning to come and stand. And when our service is concluded in here in just a minute, maybe you're here today and you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, but today you're saying, man, this is this isn't like me. And you talk about Jesus and a personal relationship with Christ, I don't know what that's like. But today, what I do know is there's something going on within my heart. And I know that if I were to die today, there is no way that I would go to heaven because I don't talk about knowing Jesus. I don't know Jesus. I've never given my life to him. Maybe you're here this morning and and that's you. Man, at the end of the service, our overseers will be standing here, and you just come and take one of them by the hand. Maybe you're here today, and you're saying, man, this is something I wrestle with. I, I wrestle as a, I'm a follower of Christ. This is an area of weakness in my life. Will you pray with me? Maybe there's somebody that, that, that the Lord is just in the middle of our time today. All of a sudden, there's somebody that's come to your mind in reference that they're not a follower of Christ, and you just need to be, you need to be very intentional about building that relationship and being an encouragement to them. You come and just say, will you pray with me over that? Maybe there's a sickness or, or something else in reference that you need prayer. And when we are closed here, our overseers will be here. You come if that's you. But Father, may we be reminded that in this time we have been called not to be first, but to be your servants. That in our pursuit of greatness to be reminded that it is a descent into dying to self and living for you. As we walk out these doors this day, Father, may I pray that we would fill this community and our surrounding area with people that are your ambassadors, that when people see us, they go, man, they're different. That difference that Jesus talked about, but you are different. May others see that within inside of us. Father, I, I pray that you would use this body of believers, this, this family that you've called together, that you've placed here in this community to be, an, to be a, a, an, an impact, not only just here, but around the world. And we pray, Father, for missionaries that we support and missionaries that we're involved in, that around the world, that even this day you would encourage them and allow them to know how important they are. Those people that kept, which kept saying to us, don't forget us. Don't forget us. Pray for us. Remember us. I do that right now. May you encourage them as much as they have encouraged us. There's so much that you want to accomplish in and through us, God. Help us understand that we are your hands and feet. Remind us of that as we walk out these doors today and as we pursue greatness, that one day, one day when we stand before you, we'll hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Well done. Jesus, encourage us now with these words. 
What a blessing it is to serve you and to know that you're at work around the world. We're just a small part of your picture. Encourage our other pastors and our, our other bodies of believers within our, in and around our community. Father, would you encourage them today as they are holding services as well. We gather together as your body, as your children. Thank you, Father, for hearing us today. In Christ's name, amen.